We're going to read from 1 Corinthians 13 today. If you want to turn there, pull it up. I'll give you just a minute to get there, and you can follow along as I read. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Thank you, Christy. I never call her Christy. By the way, that's my wife. If you're new to Freshwater, my name is JT, and it feels weird to even call her Christy. So you can go sit down, babe. There you go. Um, um, I, I, she wasn't supposed to read today, but I'm so glad she did because I don't know a woman that be better represents that chapter than my wife. It's just true. Um, I love you. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, hey, if you don't know me, my name is JT. I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful you are here today. We had a big debate on how many people would actually be here today. I think like 70% of our leadership team has, has COVID right now. So um, you're here and praise God that we have a space where we can spread out too, right? And so we can, we can come here and even feel a little bit safer than some people can when they're, they're all crammed in. I'm so, so thankful you're here today. I'm so, so excited to uh, preach the gospel to you today, to preach the word of God to you today. All right, so if you haven't been with us, we're in a series called Community Advancement, and we're closing out the series this week, just a four-week series. Every year, we do a series to kind of kick off the year, and then we're going to go back to the Gospel of John. So if you come back next week, we'll be back in John, and we'll probably be in the Gospel of John for another year, maybe more. Um, we're going to be in it for a while. But today, I'm excited because we're going to close out this series with the love chapter right? That's what a lot of people call this, the love chapter. Um, if you've ever been to a wedding, you know, um, you know this chapter or you've heard this chapter at some point if you've ever been to a wedding. Um, and, and listen, it, it works for that. If you've ever heard me talk about 1 Corinthians 13, it does work for weddings. It is about love, but, but marital love is not the context of this chapter, is it? it what's the context of who are we supposed to love? Who's this actually talking about in this chapter? Who do you think? Each other? What more specific than each other? Do I? 
Christians, right? This is talking actually about fellow Christians, how we are to love each other. Of course, it spills out into marriage and other relationships, and even with non-Christians, how we are supposed to love. But, but this is about the family of Christ. This whole book so far has been about the family of Christ. This whole series has been about the, the family of Christ. This is about how we love our brothers and sisters within the church, within, within the body of believers. And so before I kind of recap where we've been, because if, you, if you're new today or haven't been here in a while, I don't want you to be lost of where we've been. But before before we do that, I just want to read the first three verses of this chapter again, because I think it does a pretty good job of kind of recapping quickly where we've been and kind of pointing us forward to where we're going through the rest of the chapter. So read with me in 1 Corinthians 13. Let's read um, and pay really close attention. Let's read verses 1 through 3 again right now. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. All right, so... We covered the last three chapters of 1 Corinthians over the last three weeks, and, and God, through the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to an actual church he started in the city of, of Corinth, um, what, what Paul, what God, through Paul, has been addressing is really kind of three main things that were going on in this church, the, the three problems in this church. There was more than just three, but kind of three main ones, and the first one was idol worship. And at the heart of idol worship, it all comes down to this. We, we, we tend to give our hearts to, we tend to worship our idols, meaning we give ourselves to creation, things that God created instead of our creator. Right? We elevate creation over our creator, meaning we, we seek our own desires and make them, I use this word a lot when I'm talking about idols, ultimate in our lives. The thing that we think about, the thing that we pursue, the, the thing we, put our our, we give our money to, the thing that, that's rolling around in our brain most of the time or a lot of the time or too much of the time, those end up a lot of times being our idols. And that's what was going on in this church. And so it led them to seeking really sinful things or not godly things and, and not being at all serious about their holiness. Because you've heard me say before, God is not calling us to not sin. He's calling us to holiness. We're not supposed to sin. We're supposed to flee from sin. But fleeing sin is not the goal. Holiness is the goal. Being Christ-like is the goal, and they were not being serious about their holiness. So sin, and in this church in particular, sexual sin and pride had infiltrated the church. And it really just reflected the culture around them. And, and that idol worship, that, that seeking to worship things other than God, led to the second thing that was kind of a problem in the church. Because their idols and sin had influenced them so much, um, it was creating divisions in the church. It's creating major divisions in their church. The, the people of this church were letting their, their opinions and their social status and their different groups and their different cliques separate them, right? So much so if you heard Brandon preach a few weeks ago that even communion had become a time where it, that they were creating factions. They weren't waiting for some people. Some people were drinking the wine and getting drunk for communion. Some people were eating all the bread, like just coming in, you know, so people couldn't even take communion because the bread was all gone. Like all kinds of division. People were not pursuing each other. They were letting all of those other things separate them, become more important. There wasn't unity in the church because in the end, people were making it more about propping themselves up, propping their own thoughts up, propping up their own opinions and their own factions instead of fighting for their fellow believers in Christ which led to the third major problem. 
which is really what chapters 12 all the way through chapter 14. We're not going to get to chapter 14. I encourage you to read it, right? But 12 through 14 are all kind of addressing this, all kind of focusing on this. They, they were so into really self-worship, idol worship, self-promotion. They were so self-focused that, that even the gifts that God gave them was just another way for them to divide, was just another way for them to prop up some people and hold down other people. The gifts that God gave them was another way of the church being divided. And if you were here last week, 1 Corinthians 12 is, is really, when it comes to what the church is supposed to be, one of, the, one of the most informative chapters in the Bible about what the church is supposed to be, that God told us clearly that the gifts were given not for you, but to build up the body of the church, right? To lift up your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yet they'd taken even that and they'd made it about themselves. They'd made it about themselves. And not only that, they used it to elevate some and lower others to where people, if they didn't have certain gifts, probably thought they weren't good enough. They weren't holy enough. They, weren't, they didn't have enough faith. In particular, it seemed that prophecy and tongues were a major issue in this church. So all of chapter 12 basically said, don't do this. That's what I'm saying. Don't do this. You need to be this. Don't do this. God's gifts to you are just that. They are a gift, a gift not for you, a gift to build up the body of the church, a, a gift to build up your brothers and sisters. And so God tells us every gift... Not only does he tell us, don't make it about you, but he says, listen, I want you to hear this. Every gift, whether it seems like an important gift to you or not, every gift that I give to you is vital to the church. Vital. Do you, do you remember the, the word he actually used when he was even talking about the gifts that not, might not seem as important or we don't talk about as much? Do you, do you remember what Paul said um, those gifts were? you remember the word he used? Indispensable. That's an informative word, right? No, no, not that they're important, that they're indispensable, that without all of the gifts, the ones that you think about and don't think about, without all of them working together, the church cannot be what it could be because those gifts are indispensable. So really saying, don't you ever think, don't you dare think that your gift is not good enough or special enough or that you should elevate some and, and treat others lower. We are all in this together, all a body, all working together to make this thing whole so that we can lift each other up to more than we could ever be alone. That's why you hear me say all the time, I'm going to keep saying it all the time, Christianity is not a lone ranger sport. It's not about you and Christ. It starts with you and Christ. Yes and amen, of course. It starts with your personal relationship with Jesus. But you must, we must be a part of his body. As you've heard me probably say before, you don't get to come to me and say, JT, I really like you, but I can't stand your wife. Can we hang out? But is that not what we're saying to Christ? We're like, I don't really, I don't, I don't really like church people. I don't really like the church, but I like, I like Jesus. Me and Jesus are good. That, listen, does not exist in the Bible. Does not exist. I know church people can be rough. Listen, I know I can be rough at times, right? But that's part of how we learn, isn't it? How are we supposed to show grace and forgiveness and mercy and patience and kindness and to let things go and to reconcile if we don't ever have to do those things because we just surround ourselves by people just like us? This is not an accident that church is messy. It's meant to be messy so that we can figure out how God loves us and grow in that and be more like Christ. Now, here's where we're going to come to chapter 13. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so emphatically wants to get this point across, so emphatically wants you to understand this, that he uses some of the most extreme hyperbole that he uses anywhere in the New Testament to get this, this point across in the strongest of terms. In the strongest of terms. So let's, let's read it again. Let's, you know what? I don't need to read it again. We just read, we just read it twice. Let me kind of restate what, what Paul says in verse 1. He says, okay, 
like glance over it as I'm reading. He says, okay, so you can speak in tongues. All right. Well, listen, if you can speak in tongues, but you don't have love, if you think you have these gifts, but you don't have love, you're just making noise that no one understands or is going to care about. You're just a clanging symbol. Now, I thought about doing this today, just going grabbing a stick and just hitting on the symbol for a while. Because I tell you what, within an orchestra or a band, the symbol can be kind of beautiful, right? TJ does a great job of making that work really well. It all sounds good together. But have you ever stayed after church when I won't name names, including my daughter, but name names when kids will just walk up and go, king, 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 king. Is it pleasant? It's super annoying, right? Especially if you're in the room and it's just really loud, just bang, bang. Kids love it, but bang, bang, bang. Listen, not only is it annoying and it'll drive you crazy, it'll make you leave the room. Do you realize this is what Paul is saying? If you make this thing about the gift, you're just a clanging symbol that no one wants to listen to is not doing anyone good. In fact, it'll, it'll probably drive people off. Have any of you ever gone to a church where they, they seem to make everything about the gifts more than about unity and love? That they propped up the gifts as, as something to strive for as opposed to loving each other really well? And listen, I'm not knocking gifts, right? Like God's given us gifts. These are good things. But like they make it more about the gifts than loving people and unity? Have you ever been there? It, it just kind of feels off, doesn't it? Do you know why? Because it is off. God gave us the gifts for a purpose, for a reason. They're good. But when we elevate those things and we make it about us, when we make it about what somebody does, then we completely lose sight and we're just a clanging symbol or we're lifting up a clanging symbol as something to follow. That's not what God wants. He takes it further. Paul takes it further in verse 2. He says, oh, okay. Not just tongues, but you think you can prophesy. Okay, well, well what, what if not only you could prophesy, but, but you understood the deepest mysteries of God? Listen, you had, you had all knowledge. You, I mean, you just understood everything. Not only that, but you had so much faith that you could literally do the impossible. Like, you could move mountains. If you could do all of that, if you had all of that, if you had all of that knowledge, but you had not love, what's it all worth? What's the word that's used there? What's it worth? Nothing. It means nothing. Now, I looked up the Greek word for nothing. Do you know what it actually means? Nothing. But you know what else it means? It can also be used in the context of no one. So if you're using your gift for you, even if it's, un I mean, it just seems like it's unbelievable and it's, it's just moving mountains, faith to move mountains and knowledge that you just can't believe. If it's not rooted in God's love, who's it helping? No one. No one and nothing. Think about how strong a terms these are. Because we lift up people who can preach amazingly well, right? I'm pointing at myself like I preach amazingly well. I don't think that, but I, I'm a preacher. Or people who have a certain gift, or people who we just think they have amazing faith, like all of these things. Like, and I tell you what, God does amazing things through, through people, doesn't he? But if it's not rooted in love, it's, it's worth nothing. You know, I think this is one of them that has to kind of Stick with us for a second because I think there's some of us, and, and me too, I have to fight this. Some of us just love our knowledge. We love our knowledge. And, and some of us, if we're honest, we think, man, I just, 
man, I just have faith. I don't even worry about things. I don't understand people that don't have faith. Like, why don't you just have more faith? And listen, knowledge in, the, in, the, in God, knowledge of who God is and what he's done in his word, amazing thing, a good thing. We obviously preach the Bible. That's all we do here. Do that. And having faith in God that no matter what comes in this life, that God is going to take care of it. You believe in him. You trust him. Man, that is a good thing. But hear me, if those things, knowledge, which is good, faith, which is amazing, if those things aren't rooted in love, listen, they're nothing. Your knowledge is nothing if it's not rooted in the love of God. Can you just let that sink into your heart for a minute? It's worth nothing. If I get up here and preach every Sunday and you guys think I'm an amazing preacher and it makes me feel awesome because you think I'm so awesome, if I don't truly love you, God's going to hold me accountable to that someday because what I'm actually doing is not worth anything. Because in the long run, it's probably just going to lead to harm. In verse 3, but what if you gave up everything? Listen, not just your wealth, but what if you like sold everything to go be a missionary? Like they're the most holy people, right, missionaries? We love missionaries. I'm not knocking missionaries, right? But what if you sold everything? You like gave everything up, went, in, like, like went to, into poverty on purpose and went to another country. And then you got to that country and they didn't like to hear the gospel, right? So they killed you for your faith. The thing... But one thing that we can give up, that is the ultimate thing we can give up, our own lives. Man, we give up everything, but we give up our own lives and become a martyr. What more can you do for your faith to prove to people and to God that you believe? Yet what's it worth if you don't have God's love inside of you? Listen, nothing. Like I said, Paul is using a ton of hyperbole. He's going about as far as he can go. Give up your life. Give up everything. You have all knowledge. You know all mysteries. You have all faith. He's going all the way. As far as he can go. The maximum he can go to make, to, to make his point. And he says, without love, they're, they're nothing. Church, this is why um, we can't look at this chapter as something that's nice to quote at weddings. Because this is everything. Hear me. Worshiping God, yeah, but like... This is everything. So before we move on, let's make sure that we're on the same page about what love really is. Because you've maybe heard me say this before, because we love pizza. And, right, we love movies and we love our dogs. I love my dog, right? I'll say right now, I love my dog, right? But this, it's not the love of pizza or your dog that this is talking about here. The word that is used on every occasion in this chapter, when the word love is used, it is the Greek word agape. A lot of you probably heard that word before, right? But do you really know what it means? I mean, you've heard it. So let, let's just have a clear understanding. This is not sexual love. This is not romantic love. This is why I say this chapter is not really about a wedding, right? About marital love, right? It's not, it's not romantic love. Listen, it's not even brotherly love or like a close friendship. It can include those things, but that's not what this really is. This love is a love of faithfulness. It is a love of commitment. It is a love that, that acts. It takes an active will to love this way. This is not a feeling. This love is not primarily a feeling. This is about what you do with your love. This is how love acts. And so in, in premarital counseling, 
All the time, I tell those that I walk through premarital counseling with that, that, hey, listen, love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. Love can be a feeling. Of course it can be a feeling, right? But it's not primarily a feeling. It's a choice. It's every day with every decision and every moment in the highs and in the lows when you do understand and when you don't understand, choosing to love your spouse. No matter what, no matter what, I choose to love my spouse. That's what this is. Feelings are fickle. But we can make a choice to faithfully and fully commit our whole lives to someone. And if you do that, your feelings will follow. They, they, just, they just will. Your feelings will come back. Your feelings will follow. This is a choice. This love is best, best understood in the context of God himself. Who doesn't just agape. Who doesn't just love. He is agape love. That's who he is. Listen, God chose to love you. Do you deserve that love? I think most of us in this room know I don't deserve it. I've done so many things to not deserve it. I've done so many things to try to drive away that love. Maybe not intentionally. Maybe sometimes I did do it kind of sabotaging myself because I felt like I wasn't worth what God really thinks about me, right? But he chose to love me. Why? Because he did. God chooses to be faithful to us. God chose to make promises to us. God chose to send his son to us. Like his love has action behind it. It's a choice. He chooses and then he acts. He chose to give us a son and he chose to say to you, beloved, if you believe in my son, I have an eternity waiting for you where you will be with me forever. You are a fellow heir with my son, Jesus. Come and be welcome. Place your hope in that. God chose because he did. Because it's who he is. This is the kind of love that this is talking about. We choose to follow God's example who is abounding in faithfulness and steadfast love. Over and over in the Old Testament, that's how God is described. Abounding in faithfulness and steadfast love. That's agape love. This is what real love looks like. Not following our feelings, following the truth. So, Hopefully now we're on the same page with what this means. I'm going to read you some verses. I'm just going to read some verses that talk about love, and I want you to listen to them, and I want you to hear them in this context. Now that we have a right view, or at least you have a view of what, what I'm saying this love looks like, I want you to hear these verses and let it sink in. Noah, you got those up there? 1 John 3.16. By this we know love. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. Listen, that is committed. That is faithful all the way. That is action. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Faithful all the way. Not what we deserve. This is why it's called grace. Grace and deserve have nothing to do with each other. This is mercy. This is grace. This is love. John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Listen, choose to love. Be committed to each other. Be faithful to each other. When it's easy, when it's hard, when you don't understand, when you do, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then this crazy line that has stuck with me my entire life. By this, this is the thing. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
I bet most of us have heard that before because I've read it probably 10 times at this church. Have you ever just, this is where I, sometimes we just need to marinate on the word and stop for a second. By this, all people will know that we are truly Christ's disciples. Not your knowledge, which is important. Not even your faith that they don't understand, which is important. What's going what's gonna to show people what Christ is like, what his disciples are like, and that you truly are a follower? Loving. Being a person of love. All of those other things are important, but this is the thing. Ephesians 4. Rather speaking the truth in what? Love. Speak the truth, church. We must speak the truth. If people are, are giving themselves over to sin or to danger or they're chasing the world, we want to step in. We want to, hey, not stepping in when you see someone running towards danger, running towards their sin, is cowardly. We are taking the easy way out when we won't engage and we see our brothers and sisters drowning. How dare we not reach down and pull them up? But how do we do that? Love, church, not condemnation, not judgment, not making them feel bad about themselves, not making yourself feel superior, not making them feel in inferior, but in love, committed, faithful, in action. I will pull you out of the ocean to where you can breathe again. That's, that's love. Of course, we speak the truth. We speak the truth in love. Why? Well, look what it leads to. We are to grow up in every way into him who is head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? Knowledge? Even faith? No. Love. Of course those things will follow. Of course those things are a part of it. But no, we build up in love. This is, this is 1 Corinthians 12 that we, we went through last week. Paul's saying it again in Ephesians 4. This is how we do it. We build each other up in love. That's the goal. That's what we do. Colossians 3. Put on then. This is what we put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. I love it. I'm going to stop there. In Christ you are holy. The Holy Spirit is within you because Christ has washed away your sin. Christ has made you new. Christ has squashed who you were and made you into a new creation. You are holy. And then the word I want you to grasp and hold on to and sink into your heart, because I don't think a lot of us believe it, beloved. You are beloved to the Lord. He doesn't put up with you because he has to, because his son died for you. You're beloved to him. He's calling to you because you're beloved. He's calling to you because he wants you to know. Put on then, as, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. I got stuck on that word this week, meekness. How many people in our country right now, as divided as it is, would say that one of their best character traits is being meek? We all want to stand up and fight, right? There's time, man, I'm a, let's, let's be honest. If you know me very well, maybe you know me as the pastor who preaches and like, you know, but I'm naturally a fighter. I want to fight. I want to win an argument. I want to prove that I'm right. That's who I naturally am. Meekness has very much been a Christ movement. If I have any meekness, it is Jesus Christ in my life sanctifying me. But being likes to fight guy is not, is not what scripture, hey, there's a time to fight. Corey was talking about the war, right? Spiritual warfare. There is a time to fight. Sometimes it's described as the shield of faith, right? We got our, our battle armor on. There's a time to fight. 
but not like the way the world fights. Meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you, you also, what's that word? Must. Must. This is a good recommendation, but it's also a command. Must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This church did not have harmony. They were divided because they didn't have love. But how do we get to harmony? And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Similarly, Galatians 5, I don't have that one up there, Noah, but Galatians 5 describes this basically as the fruit of the Spirit, right? If we have God's love in us, we'll have the fruit of the Spirit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what love leads to. And then finally, we're going to close with this one, the most important one of them all. I can say that boldly. It's the, it's the most important one, right? When, G, when Jesus is talking to the scribe, and Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, meaning all of the Old Testament, all of the promises, all of the prophecies, all of the law is summed up, summed up in, all the commands are summed up in this. You shall love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is Christ-like love. This is what is biblical love. Church, this is what we strive for. This is who we try to be. This is what we pursue, right? So we talked about using your gifts, really, it, really in the end, um, what loving your brothers and sisters should not look like. like we've kind of talked about it's not supposed to look like through, through the word. Like that's what Paul was addressing in the first three verses. Now let's look at what it should look like. And, and I want you to keep in mind as we read it again one more time, this is applicable to all love. It is applicable to all relationships, but this is talking about your brothers and sisters in Christ. So as we read this, I want you to think about your church family, all brothers and sisters in Christ, right? But specifically, God's called us here. He has us here. So I want you to think of your brothers and sisters in Christ, in our family, the ones that you are naturally drawn to and get along with, and the ones that you naturally tend to kind of disagree with more. Can, all right, can we be honest? If you're in a church family, like especially if we didn't have COVID rampaging and everybody was here today, do you think everybody in the room you're just automatically going to agree with or naturally be drawn to or naturally get along with? No. It's okay to say that. Again, how do we learn patience and grace and mercy and forgiveness? God threw us all together on purpose. That's why 1 Corinthians has been around mm, for about three years and they're already a mess, right? Because they're, they're, they're not letting this stuff sink into their heart. So as we read this, I want you to think about the people that you're drawn to and also the people that are a little bit more, that are a little tougher for you. You, you love them, I'm sure, right? But they're a little tougher for you. So let's read, let's read in 1 Corinthians 13. We'll read verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, 
hopes all things, endures all things. That sets differently in our heart. It settles differently over us. In particular, verse 7, when we're not thinking about love in general, but, but love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to think, I want you to think about the way that you talk, the way that you think about, the way that you interact with all of the people in our church. Again, maybe even specifically the ones that you don't normally fully agree with, the ones that you might normally, outside of church family especially, have maybe have tension with. Would you describe yourself as patient and kind? Could you think about it for a second? Would patient and kind describe you and your interactions with your, your church family? Listen, the way you talk, but also the way you think. Because remember when we looked at that study and it said about 80 to 90% of the thoughts that we have in our brain are on repeat and 80 to 90% of them are negative? You know what's going to change that in this room? Listen, you guys love each other well. I'm not, I promise, I'm not addressing this because we have a bunch of problems, right? This is, this is the Word of God. I'm just, but, but the things that run through our brains is your thoughts towards other people, patient and kind. Would you say that you're, you are never or very rarely arrogant in the way that you think about things, the way that you talk about things, the way that you approach things and do things? Along with arrogant, are you rude? Your thoughts matter too on this. Listen, we all fail at this. Hear me. This is not condemnation today. We all fail at this. I just want to think about the way that you process because, listen, this is not like, oh, yeah, we're supposed to be this way. No, this is, this is it. This is the thing. This is the thing that will reveal that you are a disciple of Christ and who Christ is, by the way. It says that how we love will point people to Jesus. This is it. Our worship of God, our glory of God, and the way we love each other. This is the thing, church. We can't cast it aside because we think we're a natural fighter or we're naturally just too cowardly to, to interact with people and to actually show them patience and kindness because to, to show real kindness and patience, it means we have to go reconcile with people with patience and kindness. Just hiding from a fight is not what this is talking about, is it? This is actually pursuing these things. Faithful, committed, action-oriented love. Are you rude? Do you know these things in particular, love that is patient and kind, comes up again and again and again and again in Scripture. Not, not a couple times. Over and over. And my question is, is, is it you? And I know for some of you, maybe even a lot of you, mo if we say most of the time, not all the time, we're not, none of us is always patient and kind. Not one person, right? Something we're all working on, right? But would you say that this is mostly me? If so, praise God for that. Praise God for your gifting and who you are and your love for Jesus, because some of us are even just kind of more naturally bent towards patience. Some of us aren't, right? I'm not. I have to work on it so hard, so hard to be patient. For those of you that know the answer is no, will you take this serious today? Will you let it sink into your heart that nothing is more important than this. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it is. Verse 5 says, love does not insist on its own way. Man, I think this is where a lot of churches begin to derail. 
You know, we make that joke, and I think some of us have actually heard stories like this, but we make that joke about church splitting over the color of the carpet, that it gets to that point. Let me ask you something. Do you think they started with the carpet? Do you think that's where it began? No, it was one step at a time, one moment at a time, one little disagreement at a time. They forgot what they were fighting for, right? They forgot that they were fighting for each other instead of a fighting against each other. They let patience, they let kindness, they let compassion and goodness, and hear me, self-control, because sometimes it flares up. It flared up for me the other day. I had to take a, I had to take a deep breath. Self-control. A choice not to react the way my flesh wants to react. Self-control. They let it slip into the background. They let love slip to the background. And they ended up in a place where they never thought they'd be. No church, virtually no church starts there. Virtually no, no church people start there. So the question is, do you see your brothers and sisters in Christ that you don't always fully align with as obstacles or the family that God has given you to help you grow as you help them grow. So where do you fall in this? I want you to be honest with yourself, please. And again, I want to say this one more time. This is not about condemnation. This is not about you feeling shame or guilt. If we feel any shame or guilt, you know what we do with that? Like shame and guilt, honestly, for a moment can be a good thing. But that shame and guilt hopefully will drive us to conviction, will drive us to the cross, will drive us to Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay for those things so that we can, we can lay them at his feet, that we can be forgiven. And as Paul says, we can forget what lies behind moving forward to the upper call that God has called on our lives to love. Don't get stuck in this I'm not good enough cycle. That is not what God wants for you, right? That's shame and guilt. He wants to set you free so that you can love like this, so that you can experience God's joy and love for real, and that that might pour out of you into other people. God wants to use you for more than you have any idea of what he can use you for. Because yeah, we prop up people with the special gifts, but it is the unknown, lowly, poor, impoverished people that God uses in scripture to do absolutely amazing things. Even David, the king of kings when it came to men, but he was the, the, what, the eighth brother or whatever that no one wanted, everyone looked past, no one cared about. That's who became king. That's where the line of Christ came from. God using those who don't deserve it, couldn't earn it, terrible backgrounds, have messed it up, and God turns what you meant for evil into good. That's what he does. That's who you are if you are in Christ. He wants to move us towards growth. It says, don't be irritable. Don't be resentful. Church, the last two years have produced a whole country of people who are divided, angry, irritable, and resentful, and a bunch of people who just want to pick a side. Even the people who, I think a lot of us unconsciously pick sides. We're not out there to pick sides, but that's what ends up happening. The news, social media, everything else is just begging us to pick a side. Church, what, what if? What if, because we can't control our country, can we? As much as we want to, as much as we want to read the news and study things and know everything about everything because it makes us feel like we have control, that we have more power. Listen to me, you do not have any power over this country except for a vote every two to four years. That's all you've got. Unless you're going to go run for president, that's all you've got. 
You do not have control. The king of kings has control. That's it. That's, that's what we've got, right? So because you can't control what happens in our country, because you can't control other people, what if you decided, what if we all decided, hey, listen, my side is Christ. That's it. My side is Christ. And that the people here in this room, whether I agree with them on everything or not, they are my side. They are my team. They are the ones that I fight for. Not them out there, those people, whoever those people are, but here, here's my side. Here's my people. Here's my family. This is what I fight for. What if, church? What if this truly was our team? What if this truly was our family so that the love of Christ might actually be seen, might be present, and might point others to Jesus Christ because they saw our love despite our worldly disagreements? What if... It truly was for all of us about advancing community right here so that we might go out of these walls and advance God's community out there. What if we viewed love the way verse 7 says to view love? What if we viewed love that, is, that, that no matter what comes, no matter what comes, we bear it together? Whether it's from the outside, from the inside, whether it was my fault or your fault, we bear it together. What if no matter what we hear, we just believe in each other? That's what, believe all things. This is not just about general love, just believing in God or general belief. This is about believe in your brothers and sisters in Christ. What if we believed in each other? What if we always, always gave each other the benefit of the doubt because we believe in each other until we could go and we could talk through it and find out what was really going on. We tried to put the pieces together. We never assumed. Like that's, that, listen, I know this is almost impossible. We're people, right? But what if we didn't assume? And if we did assume, we assumed the best. And we believed in our brothers and sisters in Christ despite their pasts. No matter how difficult things get, and let's be honest, things can get hard Man, right now, things are going in the right direction. I'm super pumped about our church and the growing health and where we're moving and the vision and, and like what the conversations I'm having. I'm excited about all of them, but let's be honest, we've had a really hard last year. If you haven't been here, you just kind of have to trust me. Our last year was hard, but what if we never lost hope? We just hoped in the body of Christ, hoped in what Christ tells us is true, hoped in each other, and we just believed. And it compelled us to pursue this agape love, to be committed, to be faithful, to hope in each other no matter what. And what if that agape love, that committed, faithful, action-oriented love, man, encouraged us, drove us to endure, endure all hardships together? Because I remember seven months ago, eight months ago, there wasn't a lot of joy in this church, was there? It was just hard. If you're newer, we had one of our pastors step down, and it was hard. Just was not, it was not fun, but we endured. You're still here, right? Praise God, amen, you're still here. We endured together, and it was hard, and there wasn't much joy, and coming to church was kind of hard, wasn't it? It's just harder to be here, but is it ever harder to like engage? Is it ever sometimes hard in your marriage to go, go home after a day at work or whatever you're doing, knowing there's tension at home, no difficult things are happening? Isn't it just harder to be there sometimes? Do we quit? Man, not if we're pursuing biblical marriage, we don't quit. We go and we fight for it. We endure all things together. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is hard, and it's good. 
and it's good. This is love. If this is not you, at least it's, it's not all, all of us are not this fully, right? But if you know, like, man, I know this is not me. Could you give that to Christ today? Could you just ask Christ, just take that conviction, that lack of love to Christ, ask him to forgive you. Let the Holy Spirit do the work of forgiving you, sanctifying you, growing you, changing you, so that you could experience this kind of love, so that you could walk in this kind of love, that you could reflect the love of Jesus Christ to a watching world. Choose to love, church, no matter what, as Christ did for us. I tell you what, I want to read 8 through 13. We're not going to spend hardly any time on it today, but I want to read it, and then I want to close. Read 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, that's Jesus. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. You know, sometimes there's a little bit of a debate on exactly what all of that meant, but it comes down to this. Right now, we don't really see. Not really. Right? God's kingdom has come, right? Jesus Christ brought his kingdom with him. God's kingdom has come, but his true redemption, his full kingdom has not come yet, right? There's still sin in the world. There's still evil in the world. There, there, there's still things keeping us from being fully who we are and who we will be. We only see in part right now, but someday when Christ returns, we will finally fully understand. We will fully know because on that day, we will fully, truly, completely know our Savior. We will know our God in a way that we just can't know him now. So until that day, what are we called to? To stop acting like a child in our faith and to grow up into what God has called us to. Called us the kind of people he has called us to be, to do, and to proclaim to the world. And he says, of all of the things, you know what the greatest of all of the things are? Love. Why? Because someday, church, when we are with Christ, when he has made all things new and we fully understand, we even understand all of the suffering and the pain and the hurt. We'll understand how all of those things were used to glorify God and build his glory into us. When we stand fully in front of God in his glory and worship him, listen, we won't need faith anymore. Faith will not be needed anymore because we'll be with our creator. We don't have to have faith in him. We'll be with him. Listen, we won't need hope anymore. Hope, hope, hope is trust in things that we can't see or don't fully know, but we will fully know and we will completely see. So on that day, hope will be no more. But love, but love, church. Oh, church, love, love, love's never going to end. 
For our God is love. For God, and God is calling us into that love. And in eternity, we will live in the fruit of that love forever with each other and with our God. Agape love, this kind of love that God is talking about will never end. So that's what we place our hope in. That's what we place our faith in. Loving God with everything in us and loving our neighbor as ourselves. God's love for us, our love for him, and through that, our love for each other. That's it, church. Your greatest calling in this life is to worship and glorify God by loving him with everything in you. That also means being obedient to him because you love him, loving him with everything in you and loving your neighbor as yourself. There is nothing greater and there will never be, listen, there will never be anything greater than this. And in that, one of the greatest things that God has called us to One more time, something that will literally confirm that we are Christ's disciples and will show the world who Jesus Christ really is, is by you and I and you and you and you and you loving each other. What if we actually treated this as the greatest call in our life? What if we let it sink in? What if we just dwelled on this and made it a life verse and held on to it? Because I think we can. Listen, I think we can. More than that, I, I think we will. I, I think, I, I, I'm not just saying this. I believe that right now, this year, going through what we've been through and where we're going will be one of the greatest times of spiritual growth in our church since we began. Since we began. And through love like this, I think we can, I think we will advance community right here. We'll grow closer together. We'll become more of a family. We'll learn grace and mercy and patience and kindness and compassion and reasonableness and all of those things in a way that we never even have before, even though this is a loving church. And I think that it's going to spill out of here, spill out of this people into our community, and we will advance the community of God out there through prayer and through our love. God is going to do something this year. I believe it. Do you believe it? And this is where it starts, not buying us doing all the right things. It starts with worshiping God by loving him with everything in us and loving each other as ourselves. This is what we build this year on. This is why we started it with this series. This is what this family will be built on and through. And this is how we build, this is how we build community advancement on love. So love God, church, with everything in you and love each other. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. God, I just want to say today that we are so grateful to be here in worship. So many people can't even be here today. So many places throughout the rest of the world, people are persecuted and cannot be in church today, but we get to be here together to worship you. God, this room is full of people that you've redeemed, and God, we praise you for that because we know how undeserving we are. We're so thankful that, uh, that you call us your beloved. And God, one of the things I'm, I'm most thankful for today is that we get to know you through your word and we get to know that you truly do understand the struggle. God, I can see that you know how hard it is for us to be patient and kind and not irritable and not resentful and forgiving because you talk about it so often in your word because you know how hard it is. So God, I pray that you'd be with us today. I, I pray maybe first and foremost, God, that people could believe the truth that you died on the cross to pay for our sins, that we are washed clean so that we could be forgiven, so that people might move forward today, that they could lay their sin down and believe that they can be renewed and they can grow, that impatient people can believe they can be patient, that angry people believe that they can let that go and be kind. 
church that we can be, or God, that we can be a church that loves like this. It's not easy. And I, God, I just know that we can't do it alone, but through you, I know that we can do anything. You have promised it, you have shown us, and you have given us your word and Holy Spirit so that we can. So God, I pray that you just do what you do. If there's conviction in this room over not being this, God, I pray that you would take that conviction and help to drive people to your cross to be set free, to move forward, and that we would grow as a church body. And then lastly today, God, I just pray that our love would grow so tremendously in this church that the community, that Williams, that Tom Watkins, that John B. Hughes, the places that we work and the friends that we encounter couldn't help but notice. Couldn't help but notice that, that we react differently than the world reacts and that we would boldly, wildly proclaim, it's not me, it's Jesus. God, thank you. Jesus, thank you, for we pray in your name. Amen.